Hey, what's up, podcast? Back again with another week of YYC Leaders. This week I talk with Alex Newth. She's a co-founder at Now or Never Ventures. She has the thinking of a consultant, yet the battle scars of a corporate executive. She started her career in management consulting. She worked with some of the top brands like Heinz and Canadian Tire. She even led an innovative team at ATB, launching a challenger bank from scratch. On the podcast, we talk about taking that leap from cushy job to starting your own company, the initial challenges to watch out for, expanding your network, and much, much more. And just a quick reminder, we have the full video interview on YouTube. Just search Joe Moment Presents, or if you love audio, make sure you subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. We get awesome local leaders and entrepreneur stories each week, jam-packed with their unique insights. Leave me feedback at joe at codesta.io on some of the questions or stories you want to hear. I read them all now to the podcast. Hope you guys enjoy. And we are live. Welcome to the podcast, Alex. Thanks. I'm super excited to have you on the podcast. Uh, You're the co-founder of Now or Never Ventures. You actually worked at uh, ATV as well. Um, But before I get to all of that, perhaps give us a little background on who you are and uh, what you're currently up to. For sure. Um, So I am a born and raised Calgarian, one of the few. Um, I've had my whole life um, in Calgary, spent a little bit of time working elsewhere, um, but went to school in Calgary at the University of Calgary um, and actually studied entrepreneurship um, was what I majored in. Um, But I think I was the only person out of university um, in that major that actually got a job. So I went into management consulting instead of entrepreneurship, Um, but always kind of was passionate about what entrepreneurship was and especially around technology and um, all that. So um, started my career in consulting and uh, got kind of like the the experience under my belt, being in a big four type uh, firm and traveling the world and doing a bunch of that sort of stuff. Um, and then after a few years, decided I was kind of tired with that grind and wanted to come back home and spend more time in Calgary. So uh, joined ATB and um, have kind of had a really great career there, kind of doing corporate entrepreneurship, which I'd say is probably more... Um, what I'm passionate about is how do you kind of get big organizations to start to be a little bit more entrepreneurial um, and, and try to build ventures and, and do really innovative things. Um, but uh, after kind of four and a half years at ATB, I decided to jump out and do my own thing. Um, so now I'm in an entrepreneurial venture consulting firm where I'm trying to help corporations be entrepreneurial and, and do entrepreneurship. So it's kind of like right in the middle between everything I'm passionate about. Um, so that, that's kind of what I'm up to. Awesome. Thanks for sharing, Alex. Whenever, whenever I talk to other entrepreneurs, I'm always curious, um, growing up as a, as a kid, were you always into entrepreneurship? Were you selling lemonade on lemonade stands? Like, what, was your, what was your background like? Uh, yes, <laughs> it was definitely, yeah, it was funny. Um, my mom always talks about kind of a funny story when I was younger and um, there's a lot of kids on the street and there's uh, some construction workers across the street doing renovations and building some homes. And so a bunch of the kids were doing lemonade stands. Um, and so then I was like, well, you know, these kids, these guys that are in these construction sites, they all have kids. So I started making those like really silly beaded geckos 
uh, I'm not sure if you ever did those at camp, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, but I made all these like beaded geckos and that's what I decided to sell to all the construction workers instead of lemonade. And so I tried to come up with a different product and charged a lot more for them. I think I charged like five bucks per gecko um, and was selling those on the street. So um, did that. And yeah, I was always just kind of trying to figure out new business opportunities and was super passionate about it. Um, and had lots of kind of smaller things that I would try when I was younger um, the whole way through. And both my parents had a bit of entrepreneurial kind of um, inklings before too. They owned a jewelry store when I was younger, even though they were an engineer and a geologist. So they always kind of had these side hustles and these businesses they were doing. So I think I just uh, inherited that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no doubt. Um, yeah, the reason I ask is because we have a lot of entrepreneurs, even aspiring entrepreneurs listening, and one, of, one of the biggest scariest steps is moving from that nine to five secure job to um, your own venture. Uh, but mm -hmm. for you, Alex, how is that transition like for you? Yeah, I mean, I'd like to say it was super easy, um, but I think it is scary. Um, there's, a, there's a book I love, Messy Middle, um, by one of, the, one of the product gurus of the world. And um, there's a chapter in there and he says, the two most addictive things in the world are heroin and a biweekly paycheck. <laughs> um, and I read that right when I was about to jump. And it, it's super true because you get really comfortable. Um, you're making really good money. You've got I, you know, pensions and you're getting tax benefits and, you know, your cell phone's paid for, you got all these things. And the idea of jumping is, is really scary because when you start to add it all up, like it's not a cheap thing. Um, and one of the things, like I've talked about a little bit with some of my friends too, is that I really think entrepreneurship is a little bit of a privilege. Like I think people either get into it because they have to and they don't have other options or because they can. Um, and that was really probably reflective of my decision to jump in when I did is five years ago or seven years ago, I don't think I would have been able to, I didn't have the financial security or um, the network or the connections to really do it right. Uh, but at this point in my life, you know, I'm able to take that risk. I'm able to jump in and I'm able to look at it as more of an investment to say, this is almost like, you know, what, what's my risk tolerance on me taking this opportunity cost to jump into this business? Um, and do I think I'll, I'll do better than I could do in the stock market with that <laughs> opportunity cost? So I, I've already looked at it a little bit more rationally. Um, and it, it's not an easy decision. It's super scary. Um, and, but in the end, you kind of just have to jump and just do it. Uh, and it's kind of that momentum just to say like, all right, I'm going to peel off the bandaid and just go. Um, because I've got everything in place to do that. And if it, if it fails, it fails. Um, hopefully it doesn't, but, and you're going to work hard to make sure it doesn't, but it's still super scary and you kind of have to go in eyes wide open on it. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Actually Reds, um, your, your current role now, um, I read that you're helping companies build audacious products and uh, services. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, from, from your, from your words, I guess, what's your favorite part of being, I guess, your own boss? Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, it's because I, I worked a lot in big corporates. So like that was um, kind of my background. Uh, HV was like small at 5,000 people. Um, and then when I worked at Accenture and Consulting, I think we had 140,000 employees around the world. Like it, it was a big company. Um, so I came from those sorts types of organizations. And I think one of the things that I'm really enjoying is just the ability to go fast um, and that's one of the things I see with a lot of my clients now, because I am helping these bigger companies, 
Um, but the ability that you don't have to really ask anyone for permission to do something. And if you think there's something that you should be doing or running after, you can go after it and you can kind of write your own kind of path and you don't have to have it all figured out either. You can kind of say, well, this isn't really aligned to strategy, but that's okay because I don't have a board or an investor that's telling me, why are you doing this thing? And are you crazy? It's, we can kind of pursue these really crazy ideas and crazy clients or, or interesting clients because if it doesn't fit or if we need to discount our fees or if we need to do something to make something cool happen, we can. Um, so that's probably the part I'm enjoying the most is just that kind of freedom and autonomy to take bigger risks without having to really do all the politics associated with trying to do them. <laughs> no, I hear you. Um, what would you say is um, some of the aspects that, that uh, kind of got you off guard when you first started your own uh, venture? Because I know when I first started, um, you, you obviously have an idea of all this passion and fire to go work through your idea, but you don't realize the taxes, maybe some bookkeeping <laughs> and all this other components. But what were some, yeah. some of the first initial challenges for you? <laughs> yeah, the, the hardest one was uh, I quit ATB in February and COVID hit in March. <laughs> so, um, and, and my business partner, he had left a couple months earlier from his job. So we kind of, in February, we were, February, March was like when we were going in earnest at trying to build the business. And all of a sudden I could start saying what I was doing and, and start promoting it. And then COVID hit and we had a whole bunch of statements of work that were out. And so we're feeling all good. We're like, oh my God, we're getting traction early. This is awesome. Um, you know, everything's lining up and then everybody canceled everything because they went into that, oh, we have to wait and see and we have no idea what the budgets are going to be and global pandemic. And so uh, that was probably the scariest because I'm like, well, and, and to the point of jumping in, it's, well, if I waited five months, I could have got paid and been having a stable job. And now I'm in a pandemic starting a business like this is terrifying. <laughs> um, so that was, that was a little scary. Um, and then we've had to solve a lot of things coming with that like we um a lot of our business development was done in person uh, a lot of in-person networking we were hosting these supper clubs where we bring a whole bunch of like innovation like-minded people together to talk and it's not salesy we don't let consultants get up and talk it's it's always like somebody that's done innovation in a company talking and we had this like great kind of community and network and people that we would go meet with and then all of a sudden that all stopped and we had to do it all digitally and so trying to figure out how do you meet people? How do you connect with people? How do you still have those like really fun conversations? Um, you know, cause usually we were having them after like four beers on a Tuesday night <laughs> and now you've got like a zoom call for like an hour and it's like time locked. And so how do you get those same sorts of passion and energy and conversations and the BD going digitally? And so that was probably the hardest part for us. Um, and then, yeah, we definitely had all the like small things like tax and, trying to figure all that out, which is complicated. Um, business banking isn't very good. So, um, and as a past banker, it's one of my frustrating uh, areas because you're just like, why is this not better? It needs to be better. Um, can't even pay ourselves. We can't even access our own money, which is just frustrating. Um, but yeah, so we, we had a lot of those sorts of learnings. Um, but I would say just moving digitally has been the hardest um, and trying to figure out how to do that really effectively. Absolutely. Uh, one of the things you actually mentioned that really caught my attention is leaning on your network and um, surrounding yourself with good people. Um, so for the people listening that maybe want to build their network or even um, expand their network, mm -hmm. uh, what, what sorts of advice or tips would you give them um, to really get those mentors or people you can rely on? Yeah, for sure. 
It's, it's an interesting one because um, I think, you know, you read a lot, like I've gone down Google a lot. I'm like, okay, how do you do BD? And like, let's, let's like, you know, supercharge this. And to be fair, like we haven't really had a lot of success with like cold emails or any of that. Um, so one of the things that we do is just kind of find interesting people that we're connected with or people that are doing interesting work and just try to chat with them about it. Um, or we ask for referrals from our network. And that, that seems to work the best is to say, you know, here's what we're up to. Here's, um, you know, our branding's changed a lot even in six months. So it's a lot better now than it was. Uh, but here's our intro deck. Uh, here's who we are. Here's what we're up to. Check us out. And if you know anybody that you think would be a good fit for us, let, let us know. And that's where we've gotten most of our kind of growth and network and connections is through that sort of stuff. It hasn't been just us sitting behind a computer emailing random people. Um, you know, it's, it's really got that personal connection tied to it or that, that kind of warm lead. And so um, that's been the biggest thing is like leveraging your existing network to grow a bigger network and not trying to just do it by yourself. Um, and I, I've always, I always kind of avoid the big networking events. I, I avoided them before COVID where, you know, it's a big ballroom and everyone's kind of walking around handing out cards and be like, hi, what do you do? Hi, what do you do? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cause it never really did anything. And, but you're taught like, that's what you're supposed to do is like go out there and be strong and don't be scared. Um, but I think it's a lot more around, you know, referrals. Like that's just where I've found the most success as opposed to some of the other options. Yeah, absolutely. I, I want to echo that too. Um, but I think if you do uh, go cold, if you will, always leading with value works. Um, always be yeah. interested and not, you don't have to necessarily be interesting. Um, but uh, yeah, no, that's really interesting. Yeah. Um, it's hard to talk about yourself though. Like I, I struggle with that. And um, I think it's really easy to, to sell a product and I'm selling a service now. And so it's a little bit harder because like you're really selling yourself and that becomes uncomfortable with a cold email because you're like, you don't want to be like, oh, well, I, I'm awesome. Yeah, don't be too salesy. <laughs> like, I don't want to do that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, I hear um, you. I'm the same way. <laughs> but my business partner, he, he, uh, he, he says a lot of controversial things on LinkedIn. And so if somebody posts something, a corporation, and he doesn't agree, he will tell them. Um, so there's mornings I wake up on LinkedIn. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you just said that. Like, and, oh. <laughs> um, we, we actually get a lot of people that are like, Hey, like I saw that you said this, thank you for being brave. I want to know you. Um, so I think there is some of that value or, or at least kind of standing out and not being scared and, and in a world of vanilla and safe and, um, you know, what you're supposed to be or how professional is supposed to act how do you kind of have that opinion or that voice? And he does that a lot better than I do, but um, he's, he's great at that. And we get a lot of also, uh, you know, that's where we get most of our cold people, but they're kind of seeing something that we're doing and saying like, that's interesting. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, yeah, just being authentic. Would, would you say, I guess, what, what would you say your unique skill is? Um, what your superpower, Alex's superpower? It's <laughs> <laughs> a good question. Um, I would say, like, especially in the context of like why my business partner and I did this and, and what we believe is that we really do want to create, we, we kind of have this whole set of things that we think should exist. And a lot of companies are really scared to go um, challenge the things that are almost kind of set beliefs within their industry. So like, it's always been done this way, or there's no other way to rethink this, or they're not curious. And so I would say one of the biggest things that we do is we just go explore um, and we ask a lot of questions and 
we make a lot of um, interesting connections. And so I would say like curiosity probably is the biggest one because we're just always learning, reading, exploring, asking, talking to customers. And then we're able to bring all those kind of data points together to say, here's a brand new opportunity that you probably didn't think about based on either the capabilities of the company and this unmet customer need or this trend that we've noticed. Um, so that, that's what I think we do really well is just being really curious. And we also don't go in and say, hey, big business, here's the three things you should be doing um, because we think so. We, we try to figure out a little bit more about like, why are you doing things a certain way and, and try to have that curiosity first. Um, I've, I've hired a lot of consultants in my, my past life and, you know, they, they'll always come in and say like, this is what you should do. Um, which is like, yeah, duh, I would do that if I could. Um, but having that more curiosity to find those areas that maybe I hadn't thought of, um, was what I valued from consultants. And that's what we're trying to bring in, um, is that real curiosity, uh, and kind of more innovative thinking that way. Absolutely. Speaking of curiosity, I'm, I'm, I'm curious, uh, what's Alex <laughs> curious about right now? What's on your oh. mind? It could be personally, <laughs> professionally, it could be a new yeah. Netflix show. <laughs> what's what else <laughs> curious about? Yeah. Uh, well, my family, much to their dismay, I've been very much deep into the U.S. politics. I'm a dual citizen, so um, going to bed with the presidential debates on and and kind of being really digging into a bunch of that sort of stuff. Just personally, I'm very interested in it and. I'm interested about how, you know, those big decisions are going to translate into the future of economies and, and how, you know, society will even change as a result of a lot of this stuff. So I'm um, very curious about that. Uh, more from a business context, one of the areas, we're really interested in the areas where there's almost taboos that exist, where people don't want to talk about things or touch certain topics. And so we've really been diving into retirement aging and death um, with a lot of our clients because, you know, with just changing demographics and the way customers are, are kind of acting these days, you, you kind of have to address those things. And the way that they've been done to date is very outdated. Um, and it's very negative. Like people don't want to touch funerals. They don't want to touch that industry. And so we're very curious, like whether it's a life insurance client or a bank or even a farming client or other clients, like what does that whole taboo mean and how does it actually influence and change business and what are the opportunities that sit there because everyone's a little bit too uncomfortable to go explore it so we've been diving into a lot of that sort of stuff these days oh wow <laughs> another i guess from my perspective at least something i'm curious about is what's the business landscape going to look like post pandemic mm -hmm. obviously you're seeing lots of big companies moving straight to remote work working from home um, but that also causes, comes up with some challenges as well. Um, have you seen anything from your perspective, Alex, uh, working from home, uh, work-life balance? Like how's, how's that yeah. for you? Yeah, it's interesting. Like yeah, talking to clients, you know, there's kind of this mixed view. Some people, I mean, I think it depends on kind of life stage. Some people are so eager to get back into the office and I admit like doing collaboration and brainstorming and having those like kind of big conversations it is hard to do digitally so i miss parts of it um but at the same time like i would say and i think a lot of people have provided a lot of perspective on what do you actually want to be doing and i noticed even um pre-entrepreneurship you know it, it was scary the idea of going into entrepreneurship because of how much it costs to live but all of a sudden now i'm like well i don't have to be you know paying for drinks and dinner for bd every night 
Um, and I had a lot of convenience costs because I was running around so much, had so many meetings and was so busy. So I was like paying money for, you know, freshie every day and like dry cleaning and Uber eats and, you know, Ubers everywhere and all of that went away. And so I think I realized, you know, it's not so much even about the top line, it's more about your kind of net. Um, and how do you kind of rethink where, and I think people are thinking about that. Where do you think, rethink where you live? How do you think how you live? Um, what choices are you gonna make? What are you gonna spend money on? Because you don't need to be doing, I've put my entire work wardrobe like in a box because I don't even need to wear it anymore and, and you don't need to buy more of it. So I think it's, um, it's been really interesting to watch and I think it's been a really good thing for me personally, which is hard to say, you don't wanna say a pandemic's been good. Um, but I think it's provided a lot of perspective and it's kind of redefined what I want to do. And I think it has done that for a lot of people um, as well. And the one other thing I've noticed too with companies is um, there's a, a person I used to work with at ATP who is the chief people officer, Lauren Rubis, awesome person. He's got a whole bunch of thoughts on culture. He believes everyone should work remotely, um, workplace 2.0. He was been on the forefront of that for years. Um, and he was advising the company and he was trying to get everyone to work remotely. And they were like, oh, this could be a two-year change journey. It's like so hard. And then two weeks, everyone was doing it. And so I think it taught companies that, you know, it's not, you don't have to overcomplicate these big changes and to make big changes in your business. You don't need to spend two years creating change agendas and bringing in a bunch of consultants and making roadmaps and plans and talking about it in tons of meetings. If you have to do it, you can just do it. And I think it's created kind of this new urgency or this new ability to change that we didn't have before because we overcomplicated it before. Absolutely. Um, one thing I did want to touch, touch on with you um, about entrepreneurship is kind of the common myths about entrepreneurship. Because from my perspective, there's lots of glorifying of the winners and not enough kind of what the day-to-day -day yeah. looks like, as you know. <laughs> um, lots of challenges, lots of ups and downs. Um, but yeah, from, from your perspective, Alex, what's maybe a common myth that you always come across <laughs> about entrepreneurship that you wish would just be debunked? Um, I think that, you know, everyone has an idea, you know, and you talked about like, it's like the new cool thing. I, like when I was in university, it was, you went into investment banking or consulting, like, and that was like, you're cool if you're going to do one of those two things. And now it's, you're going to join a startup or start a startup. And that's like the new cool career choice. And um, again, like consultants, when I was in consulting industry, they'd always say, I want to exit into VC or private equity and do buy side. And like, that's the goal. And now when I talk to like younger consultants at firms, they all want to be a product lead or in startups or creating something. So it's, it's definitely shifted in terms of the popularity. But I think, you know, having an idea is really just not enough. Um, and getting that real knowledge about how to do something is really critical. And I think people kind of jump in and they say, you know, I'll learn this industry. How hard can it be? Um, as opposed to going in and saying, I've got a whole network of people and I know the industry deeply so I can challenge it um, and do it really well. And, and that's, I think the difference, um, you know, if I hadn't bought consulting work for the last five years, I don't think I'd be as good at doing consulting work now. Um, and, and that's just because I get the cycles I get, the buyers, I get the competitors, I understand how it works. I understand what doesn't work. I understand all of that. And I've got tons of people to rely on to help me round it out. And so I think people just think it's about having a good idea and dreaming um, and that next step to actually doing it, executing it and de-risking it is the hard part. And not enough people talk about 
the de-risking of a venture. They only talk about the potential of a venture. And if you're not going in eyes wide open about what could go wrong and how you're going to actively manage that, I think, and if you don't even know what you don't know, that's a very scary thing. Mm, absolutely. I love that de-risking. Uh, I know you've done lots of strategy work, but maybe what are some tactical things maybe that the listeners could take away from de-risking maybe the idea that they have or venture they want yeah. to I think a couple of things. So one, the numbers. One thing I notice is that, you know, people will be like, well, I'm not an accountant. So <laughs> I don't know the numbers. Like they'll, they'll make up an excuse and like, whatever. You need to know the numbers. You need to know, you know, some, I, I, there's somebody I, I knew a while back that wanted to start like a sandwich shop. And just even going through that whole process about how many sandwiches do you actually have to sell a day, like based on the hours you can be open to actually pay your rent, let alone make any money. And like, what's actually your hurdle rate for break even plus the salary you actually want to make? Like how many sandwiches are we talking here? Like this is a lot of sandwiches. And if you only want to work four hours a day, like you're not selling enough sandwiches to pay any of this. And, you know, people just kind of manipulate the numbers a lot. So I think that's knowing the numbers deeply and knowing where all the money flows, I think is super critical. And you have to be a nerd on the numbers. Like you just have to know how to make the money, how to optimize it how to extract that value and not be scared of it. If you don't know your numbers and you're an entrepreneur, I think that's terrifying. Um, <laughs> the second thing I think is just being open to that feedback. And it's another thing I think that a lot of people struggle with. And it's, it's a muscle that you have to definitely grow to be able to take an idea and go throw it in front of people and have people absolutely tear it apart and be okay with that. And I think a lot of people, you know, they'll say, here's my venture idea. I'm going to do a survey. And then they go to a survey and the survey is like, um, do you want like a blue car or a red car? And, and people are like, well, I guess based on the options, I'll take a blue car, but really they don't want a car. So like, you're not learning whether or not your business is actually feasible. You're just trying to validate what you want to hear. And I think learning how to do really good customer research, I think learning how to have really good customer conversations so that you're not, you know, perpetuating bias within your own business or your own belief system, but then also taking the business to people that are, um, strong business leaders who've run these businesses before and have done that so that they can give you their roadmap and say, here's what you're missing. Here's what, why I don't think you should be doing this business at all or why you shouldn't be successful. Um, I think it's really important and people kind of just put their head in the sand because they don't want to know. It's almost like the ignorance is bliss thing. And I think you can't do that. You have to be really open and say, um, you know, maybe this idea isn't good um, and that's okay. And we do that with clients all the time. Like we've got ventures that we're working on with them and we'll have a great idea that's, you know, perfect if you're in the industry and the company wants to sell it so bad, but customers just don't like it and you can't push it through. Like you, you could, but you're just going to lose a lot of money. Right. So like, what's the point? And so I think learning that customer research cycle and like learning how to actually take that feedback, mm -hmm. actually own it. And if someone says your logo sucks, your logo sucks. Like that's <laughs> yeah. it. Like just, just own it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> don't be like, oh, they don't know what they're talking about or like, I really like it. <laughs> Yeah, it's, I like the colors. Or <laughs> yeah, you can't. Like, you have to really, really be critical about your business improving it all the time. Absolutely. No, I absolutely agree with you out there, Alex. Um, what's something maybe that you're proud of that we haven't touched on in the interview so far? It's <laughs> a good question. Um, I think, so my last project when I was at ATB was kind of trying to build a venture within a company. And that was... That was probably one of the most challenging projects 
I've ever done. Um, and you know, I, I'm not, I'm not sure I'd have either, I wouldn't check the box as a failure and I wouldn't check a box that was a success. Um, you know, I think it had some things that went really well and it had some things that it definitely did not hit, um, and wasn't successful. And I learned a lot through that and developed a really interesting team from that. And so I think that's the one I'm most proud of. And a lot of my team from Brightside has now moved into other startups. Um, they're working in other startups in Calgary, Cement, a lot of them went to Cement, um, but they're in Neo Financial and some others. And so it's really cool to see how, you know, where we started a couple of years ago, when we started this venture, like none of us knew how to build a bank. None of us knew what we were doing. And, and then we did, and we built it and we learned a lot. And now all those learnings are kind of trickling and, and helping other companies start to get successful and helping the Calgary economy. Cause now you've got people that have this great story and this great experience. So um, I would say getting that through and, and being able to lead that and, and getting that off the ground was probably one of the things I'm proudest of. Um, and now for me too, I'm able to do it a little bit quicker. So as well, everyone and their, their grandma wants to run or start a bank these days. So <laughs> I'm, I'm having a lot of conversations with companies about it, but it's easy now to kind of say like, here's, here's what I've learned and here's how we can actually make Canadian financial landscape a lot better. Um, so that's been something I've been very proud of. Mm, absolutely. Speaking of landscapes, uh, you mentioned the Calgary economy and how uh, industries change. Um, but from your perspective, Alex, how, is, how has Calgary changed from when you first started to, to now? Yeah, a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, it's, it's a tough one. Like, I, I talk with a lot of people about this, too, in Calgary. And, and I think everyone, everyone's frustrated because there is, like, this kind of doom and gloom that's existing right now. And everyone's frustrated by the doom and gloom. But I think there's also kind of to the, the vein of being honest is to figure out where that's coming from and what's really the root cause on it so that we can be critical and fix things. And it's really interesting. Like I, when I first was in Calgary and doing my career, it was busy. People were ambitious. People were, had big goals and there's money and appetite and risk-taking that just existed. It was a lot different um, and just movement and a lot more young people. Young people were moving to Calgary to start their careers because they know that they knew that they could make more money, they could learn more, they could learn faster, they'd have more autonomy, they'd have more growth opportunities. And I think the thing that scares me now is a lot of that is moving and leaving um, to other places. And if we're not kind of investing in the right areas right now for people to feel like they can actually leapfrog their experiences. Like it's kind of the rocket ship thing. Are you on a rocket ship or not? Is Calgary a great place to live and work? Sure. Is it a rocket ship right now? I don't know. And could people go find a rocket ship somewhere else? And should they? Well, they should. So I think that's what worries um, me. And, and we, we've done these separate clubs in this pre COVID, but um, we did them in Toronto, we did them in Vancouver, we did them in Calgary. And it was really interesting to see how the conversation was different across the cities. And, you know, in Toronto it was very much around, here's the innovative things we're doing, here's what we built, here's like a really tactical problem I'm having in being able to scale this innovation or to do more. And it was a very kind of problem solving focus, like how do I do this thing, I'm doing stuff, let's go. Vancouver was kind of slow, it was a lot of service providers. But in Calgary, it was a lot about people saying we should, and nobody was actually doing yet. And I think that's, that's what makes me nervous is that we had a bias to action before um, with a lot of our companies. And now there seems to be this kind of like waiting on the sidelines, like government should be figuring this out for us. Um, you know, if we 
build all these support systems and train people in innovation, innovation will happen. Um, you know, there's just a lot of talk and a lot of suggestions and a lot of, you know, just dialogue and spinning about what we should do. But they're all like to the entrepreneurial example, they're all ideas. And that's not the hard part. The hard part is the execution of those things. And I'm not sure, I don't know if it's that we don't have the right people. I don't know if it's that we don't have enough companies that are doing stuff. I don't know what it is, but that's what really makes me nervous about Calgary's landscape is that we don't have enough people doing. Um, and even the clients I work with in Calgary are so much slower than the clients I work with in Toronto. So much slower. Wow. And they shouldn't be. Yeah. We're, they're smaller clients and they've, they're all in the same time zone and there's no reason that they should be slower and they are. And so it's like, how do we kind of create that speed again? And that worries me. Yeah, absolutely. You actually mentioned uh, a couple of companies. Uh, I've had some of the co-founders on the podcast, Amend and uh, Neo Financial. Yeah, I think we just need more executors and more companies like those and yours yeah. and just more entrepreneurs doing in the community to really push that industry forward. Um, my next question is a little bit, a little change of gears. I'm just really nerdy about consumer <laughs> behavior, but uh, what's your consumer behavior been like uh, during pandemic? Have you been watching more, streaming more Netflix or video on demand or eating out or eating in more, I guess, or how how yeah. that pandemic affected yeah, you? Yeah, I, I luckily did not get the pandemic 15. I think I like lost weight. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> 15. <laughs> yeah, no, we, um, like we definitely spent more time outside, which I really liked. Like I'm, I'm an outdoorsy person to start and just the pandemic, gifted us that ability to be outside more because you should be. Um, but yeah, I would say my, our behavior, like we're spending so much less money, which isn't good for the economy at all. I know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we're like cooking from home more. We're, you know, learning more, I guess it's kind of like you've got time to read. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, like, what else are you going to do? Uh, and yeah, it's, it, that's been really interesting and working out so much. Like we bought a Peloton. Oh, we were lucky. Nice. We, we like saw the pandemic coming and we bought it as we got it like in March. Oh, wow. Um, and then the wait list of like two months showed up and we're, we got the Peloton early. Um, but yeah, so it's been really interesting just starting to become a lot more digital. Like a lot of like, I was already pretty digital. It's definitely, I'm more of that early adopter, new gadget suite. I'm going to try it out. So I was already really on that, like online shopping and Amazon Prime and everything like that was, I was already there, but now it's even like more. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so now even like the designers um, and some of the, the resources that we're using within our business and I know it's our consumer, but we're picking people from all over the world now, which is like super cool. So we can find the best people no matter where they are. Whereas I think before it would have been more of a local bias to say who's nearby and who can I like go meet up with. And now we can find really good designers that are elsewhere. Um, so yeah, it's changed a lot of that sort of stuff. And then we've been spending more time at the lake and um, yeah, it's, and more time with family, to be honest, which has been really nice. Absolutely. That's, that's, that's really awesome. Um, is there anything that you've read that's, uh, that's really inspired you? Yeah, I think, um, so I mentioned the book, Messy Middle. I think I've like taken photos of multiple pages in that book and sent them <laughs> around because I think, and, and that whole book is kind of around, um, it's not about starts and finishes. It's about the stuff in the middle in an entrepreneurial venture. And it's a very easy read, but there's just some really good nuggets about like, here's things to keep in mind as you're building your business. So that one's been really good. Um, another one that I'll, I'll kind of mention, which is a little bit 
probably different from what most people in Calgary would read. Um, it's called Alchemy and it's uh, from one of the founders of Ogilvy Advertising. And it's really interesting because what he talks about is kind of this bias that a lot of corporations, and I think especially in Calgary, have that because of the engineering influence and a bunch of the oil and gas and technical fields. And it talks about how sometimes you can't create and force, force create through logic and rational and data magic. And sometimes magic happens and creativity happens and connection happens and it doesn't happen through surveys and quantitative analysis and processes and, and all that. And, and I even see that, I see that with Calgary. It's like, oh, well, we're going to teach everyone and train everyone on design thinking and then we'll all be innovative. And it's like, no, like that's not really the secret sauce. Like it's good to have that as a tool, but you know, that's not actually going to change the economy. That's not going to do it. And so it's a bit more around how do you kind of pull the logic out and get more into that irrational human magic qualitative area of business and that it all doesn't have to be this rational thing um, that's all backed up with business cases and everything. And so I think that one's a really good one. We've been making a lot of our clients read that one um, just to kind of give them a little bit of a push to say, you know, even if you've got the best business case in the world, this might work or we don't really know how successful it's going to be and there's only so much you can guess, but that, that'd be one I'd really recommend, especially if people are coming from more of a technical background is trying to train themselves out of that a little bit. Mm, absolutely. No, I love that. Um, I only have a few more questions, a couple more questions okay. here for you, Alex. Uh, I always love asking this one, but what's something that you never get asked that you wish you would be asked? Mm, that's a tough one. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things um, I think that people sometimes don't ask enough is like, what are you actually kind of passionate about? I think that people just jump into to business and they jump into, like no one really tries to understand people's whys. Why are they doing the things that they're doing? And I think you learn a lot about people when you understand their why, um, why they exist, what they're, trying to, what they're trying to build, why they're trying to build those things. Um, and I, I think I think people should ask that more of each other. And it's not something I often get asked. Like it's a lot about the what I'm doing, um, as opposed to the why. And I think the why just provides a lot more context for people's decisions. Mm, absolutely. Which segues perfectly to my next question: Why are you doing what you're doing, Alex? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, it's um, like I think. Uh, I'd love to say like, you know, I hate consulting and I'm trying to break this industry and like, whatever, whatever, like any startup person says about their industry, like, you know, they all have some sort of story thing. But like, I think honestly, for me, I have just learned, I've had, I've gone through a lot of different roles and there's a lot of self-awareness. I think that comes about learning what environment you succeed best in and what type of work you love to do. And my why, like I, I've always been kind of a troublemaker, I think like my entire life and some environments encourage that and some environments really don't. And so my why is that like, I just really want to be that troublemaker, like, and be paid for that. Like I want that to be my day is to, to be pushing things and to be asking those tough questions. Um, but I think also, you know, it's, it's how do you actually kind of create a little bit more fire within the Canadian economy is something that I'm really passionate about. And, I, I was lucky early in my career, I got to spend a lot of time with global companies and I always saw this like risk appetite that existed everywhere, but in Canada. And 
there's just such a risk aversion here and there's such a fear and there's such a uh, lack of speed. And so if I can influence that in any way by kind of being that troublemaker, by pushing buttons, by suggesting good things, by finding those little opportunities that you can't say no to as a corporation and that pushes people to create new business models, that pushes more creation in the economy, more jobs, more startups because those people that learn that in a corporation then go do their own thing that's really what I'd love to do. Like, that's why I do it because I think we need more, we need more people that think. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love, I love your passion too. I'm sure the listeners <laughs> do too. Um, speaking of which, where can they connect with you online if they have more questions and want to pick your brain more? Yeah, for sure. Um, LinkedIn's good. Um, <laughs> I'm usually pretty good about responding on LinkedIn. Um, or you can just email me. It's alexsmith at gmail.com is my personal one um, or alex at nowornever.network. Um, and so either one works, but yeah, just online is the best way. Cool. I'll add those links to the podcast description. So you guys reach out. Um, but yeah, really, it's, it was a pleasure talking to you, Alex. And um, I'm sure the listeners lo- loved you as well. Uh, I, I like to end the podcast with the guest saying a question, quote, or a story to end the uh, end the interview. So my last question to you, Alex, is do you have a question, quote, or a story to end the interview? I think I'm just going to steal the quote that I dropped earlier, which is the two most addictive things in the world are heroin and a bi-weekly paycheck. <laughs> <laughs> so just ask yourself if you're addicted. 